0: Good morning. Good morning. It's a great privilege to be able to share a reflection with you this morning. The gospel story today plays out in three parts. Uh, first, the travelers are joined on the road by Jesus, traveling incognito, as it were. Then, the travelers are rebuked and taught by Jesus. And lastly, on reaching Emmaus, they convince Jesus to stay with them, and his identity is revealed. In reflecting on the experience of the COVID-19 pandemic, the feelings of Cleopas and his unnamed companion expressed in the first part of this reading will feel familiar to many of us. They relate their sorrow at being left alone, at having their hopes dashed, and in the background of missing one who's dear. It's the day of resurrection, and they have heard the accounts of the women and the others who saw the empty tomb in uh, verses 1 to 12 in Luke's gospel, but they hardly dare believe it. Where did Jesus' body go? What would happen next? What did it mean? We read in verse 17 that they hesitated before answering Jesus in sadness and perhaps in fear of what this strange man might say or do. So much seems so uncertain. For me, the pandemic has magnified questions like this. I'm prone to wrestling with what my life is about at the best of times. Where it's going, how do my labors matter to the world, and so forth. I'm given to anxiety and overthinking, and to the presumption that turning inward and insulating myself will shield me from being used up. The pandemic has made that worse. There have been extended periods of loneliness and relative isolation, when even close friends simply were not available in the same way. I discovered in a new depth just how anxious and fixated I can be, and that's saying something. Did that Teams meeting actually go well, did I completely misread the room? What did that hesitation mean from my colleague? Will those hearing my reflection on Sunday simply scoff and dismiss it? And so on. And of course, the more time alone we have, the more isolated we feel, the more thoughts in the background can seem to press in and go bigger. My life has followed a familiar pattern of work, errands, chores, vacation, rinse, repeat. Uninterrupted by major life events like marriage or the birth of children, it's felt during the COVID, during COVID, acutely at times, that I was in a holding pattern. I've asked God again and again for insight on why. I still don't know. Well, how does Jesus respond to the traveler, the traveler's fears and doubts in our text? By declaring, "Oh, how foolish you are!" Check. <laughs> and how slow of heart to believe! Check. He then reveals to them what is true versus what they perceive what their fear would say so i do not have the assurance in the ways that i want and yet the intensification of my patterns of thought brought on by the pandemic has led to posing some excellent and overdue questions to myself with the help of a christian counselor i've started to unpack some for example why do i so easily and so often feel isolated from people even from those who know me best and who I know love me at death? Why is it so much easier to believe that they're weary of me, rolling their eyes at my flaws and failures behind my back? Because they're not doing that. The implicit narratives that I am unloved, and indeed too flawed and complicated to be loved. I've struggled with this for long years, but during the pandemic, a step has been taken to do something, and Jesus has been faithful to open my eyes and teach me. The process is ongoing. When the travelers reach Emmaus, Jesus' companions offer him hospitality despite their sorrow and loss and uncertainty. Even in troubled times when their hearts are near breaking, they continue to practice what Jesus taught them in welcoming someone in need. And in the breaking of bread together, that clear and sweet resonance with the Eucharist, they recognize Jesus at last. And so it has been for me. For some years, I've eaten Sunday dinner with the Edmunds family, many of you know them. During the pandemic, it has often been distanced and masked, apart from actually eating, of course, but it's been God's grace to me. As well, since the pandemic began, I've been urged strongly to join two other families, the Vissers and the Hanbury's, as a godfather. In both cases, I've been offered a place at the table, not for a season, but for a lifetime. Simple, mundane, unglamorous practices bearing witness that I am welcome and known and loved, speaking to a deeper reality that I needed to hear and to know and to live, that I am one of a people, a family that transcends bloodlines or national identity. In the breaking of bread, in washing and naming, we have we, we have known Jesus present. In closing, I feel compelled to offer, um, I actually feel compelled to offer this, a word for us as a community. It seems clear from the text, in particular verse 28, that Jesus doesn't initially plan to stay at Emmaus. If they had not urged him strongly, there is every indication he would have walked on and therefore would not have been revealed in this case. We appear to be exiting the area of lockdowns and tight anti-COVID restrictions, and I pray God that's true and not another trough before another wave. We, had, we as a church community have chosen to stay in this particular place at Metcalfe and Gloucester and renew our building. Why not to, to provide a lovely historical building to show off at Doors Open Ottawa, as pleasant as that was? Our preachers in recent weeks have challenged us with the news of the Holy Spirit and asked if we invite the Spirit. Are we inviting Jesus? Are we oriented towards our Lord revealed in those in need? Are we at least desiring to grow in that regard? I need that challenge as much as anyone, trust me. But there's a risk that if we do not invite, we may not see Jesus around us. I hasten to add that Jesus never stops seeking us, so missteps or even rebellion can be overcome. But what's our desire? My regular practice uh, on a daily basis is to do the readings for morning and evening prayer, including the appointed Psalms. And recently Psalm 90 came up. The days of our life are 70 years, and though some be so strong that they come to 80 years, yet their span is but labor and sorrow. So soon it passes away, and we are gone. But who regards the power of your wrath, and who considers the fierceness of your anger? So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Turn again, O Lord, and tarry not. Be gracious unto your servants. As we come out of the pandemic experience, let us honestly mourn what we've lost, but let's not rest there. Let's rather number our days and use this COVID experience as an opportunity to invest in what has lasting value. For what is wisdom? To do the will of the Father and to follow his son. And what does that involve? In part, it is to welcome the stranger. If we choose it, the spirit will meet us. Let us not then be slow of heart to believe it, but trust him.
1: Where did I miss God over the last two years? Where did I see him in the midst of everything? These are the questions I was invited to reflect on this morning. And I've thought about this before, but appreciated another opportunity to consider them because I found it difficult to unpack life in COVID times. Some things were very clearly caused by or impacted by uh, the pandemic. Others were less connected, but as COVID, was the backdrop, it still set the tone for how those things unfolded and how I've come to remember them. It's complex, isn't it? Though I believe it's worth the effort to do the hard work, I'm still in the midst of unpacking it all, but can share with you where I am and some treasures I found in the process. Where did I miss God during the pandemic? I missed God in the sense of lacking and yearning for, as spiritual rhythms and communities in my life are disrupted. I also missed God in the sense that sometimes I didn't see him. You are the people who will appreciate this. Two weeks into the first lockdown, I began to have dreams about receiving the Eucharist. I missed it so much. I realized how much I'd been shaped by and grounded in the Anglican way. The sacraments and our embodied liturgy. I longed to stand for the gospel reading, kneel for the prayers, pass the peace with handshakes and embraces, to serve the cup and shout, thanks be to God, hallelujah, at the end of Sunday services. It didn't happen right away, but at some point I realized that the anchors in my life had been lifted and I was unmoored, drifting out to sea. I knew God was there with me, with us, but I longed for what was familiar and tangible because those things are good. Looking back, I suppose I didn't miss God so much as I missed the spaces and the ways in which I had encountered him. But there really were times when I missed him, (laughs) when I struggled or chose not to see where he was or what he was doing. Those are times when I had my own agenda, was impatient, willfully chose sin, to numb pain or regain a sense of control, let myself be distracted or undisciplined, Um, Maybe God was in a place where I didn't expect him to be, or he looked different than I had imagined. Maybe you can relate. (laughs) If these are the reasons we missed God, then we do need to deal with that. Uh, However, it occurred to me that I only know about those times because at some point God helped me realize that they happened. These eye-opening moments have happened in many contexts journaling, imaginative prayer, spiritual direction, intercession, counseling, and deep conversations with friends. That's what I was going to talk about this morning, (laughs) but late last night I kept thinking about another way I have missed than seen God. This one is more mysterious. I didn't always see what God was doing because his work was hidden. And it usually wasn't for lack of trying. Uh, from 2019 to, yeah, from 2019 to 2021, um, I was part of some intercessory prayer groups across Ottawa and Canada. A scripture that often emerged was from Isaiah 43, prophetic words about God's mercy despite Israel's unfaithfulness. It says, "Forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing; now it springs up. Do you not perceive it?" I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. In 2019, we were very excited about the idea of God doing a new thing. By 2020, we teetered between frustration and hope. See, I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? No, we don't perceive it. We would sigh or laugh or yell. Help us perceive it we were often reminded of a parable Jesus tells in Mark chapter 4. He says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. I'm a campus minister among international students, and this parable framed not only my sense of how God was moving in the ministry through the pandemic, but also how he was moving in my own heart. In what I considered a quiet season of ministry, significant growth was happening underneath the surface. One rainy day last spring, I was praying on campus. Uh, I was alone and I came across a bed of tulips in full bloom. A long forgotten sign planted in the flower bed said, shh, event in progress. Obviously the sign was referring to some other event that required silence, but I smiled to myself as I saw it with the tulips. An event had been in progress there, and it was only now that those above ground could see. I share this because we often tend to perceive darkness as stagnant or dangerous. And for good reason. (laughs) But in the last year I've been challenged to see the ways darkness is sometimes good. Our bodies rest best in the quiet cool of the night. Babies are formed over many months in their mother's wombs. And seeds sprout in the ground, growing roots to sustain them before their tops break the surface of the earth. In March, I read a book that perfectly captured this idea that I was struggling to articulate much less (laughs) to believe. Um, It was called The Dark Night of the Soul. A psychiatrist explores the connection between darkness and spiritual growth. Pretty intense. Uh, The author responds to the poem by St. John of the Cross, drawing on other readings by St. John and his mentor, Teresa of Avila. There is one paragraph that changed my life. I think it's too long to quote, I did think about it, but (laughs) it can be summarized as this. John and Teresa write of two distinct types of darkness. One is sinister or desolate, and one merely obscures, protects, and nourishes. The dark night of the soul isn't so much the spiritual crisis that often comes to mind when we speak of it. It's a hidden, sacred place of growth and communion with God. I'm still pondering this months later, <laughs> but when I read it, immediately something like clicked into place for me. Um, At the time, I was in a dark place. Chronic health issues had forced me to take a medical leave from work. Life in the pandemic had taken a mental, emotional, and social toll. I was crippled and choked by anxiety. Past trauma resurfaced and I had little language to invite anyone in, much less to ask for help. I felt totally unmoored, untethered, undone. I'd been finding it difficult to pray in my own words and to listen for the Holy Spirit. I could only pray from scripture and trust that God was speaking to me from it, too. Then a few places of safety, prayer, and conversation started to open up. In a time dedicated to physical healing, I was invited to some serious inner healing as well. I sensed God was doing something, but I was discouraged that I couldn't quite see or understand it. I wondered if I was in spiritual crisis, a dark night, and I was, but not the kind I thought. It was a great relief to know that as I was doing my best to pursue God and my own well-being, he was doing a deep and hidden work in me. Like the disciples journeying with Jesus to Emmaus, I only knew that my heart burned within me. Certainly there was and is the sinister darkness that I need to surrender or be freed from, but some of this darkness was and is a good gift. Luke writes that the disciples were kept from recognizing Jesus, but from the beginning, something starts to happen deep inside of them that culminates at the end in recognition of Jesus at the table. Every day I trek inner terrain with Jesus listening as he tells me about my life and about his. He's opening my eyes to see what I didn't before perceive. Sometimes it's intense, but he's a patient companion and a good teacher. I don't know exactly where this journey will take me, but what I do know is that Jesus is with me. He knows where we're going, and it's not actually arriving at the final destination that will transform me but the process of walking and talking together along the way. Planning this reflection, I initially imagined myself at the point in the Emmaus story when the disciples jump up and run back to Jerusalem uh, to tell the others what they'd seen, and I do think that parts of me are there, ready and able to testify about encounters with the, re- with the risen Jesus that I now see in a new light, but parts of me are still sad and downcast. Parts of me are still confused, even as I receive the company and instruction from Jesus. Parts of me are just beginning to sense the importance of the moment, daring to invite Jesus to stay with me a while longer. These are all parts of the process of receiving spiritual sight, of awakening to God's presence with me and in the world. And so, wherever we find ourselves today, As we move through the rest of this worship service, we're invited to press in with our disappointment, our anger, our confusion, to honestly tell God what is weighing on our hearts and minds, to soak in the written and living word among us, and to receive his invitation for us to join him at the table. May our eyes be opened and our hearts come alive to his life.